Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Save big money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. I'll handpick a different piece of short fiction and read it to you each episode. The only thing these stories have in common, I love them, and I hope you will too. Hey, y'all, LeVar here. Today's story is a wonderful fantasy tale that features a wizard and a thief as our main characters. Now, we all know that the secrets to great drama would be, number one, tension, and number two, great characters. And these are two for the ages. Today's story is actually part one of a two-parter. And it is written by Richard Parks, an American writer. And he's also a World Fantasy and Mythopoic Award finalist. It's a lighthearted tale, but it has quite a few moments of tension, and like all good short fiction, it ends in a very unexpected place. We're going to follow these two men on their journey through a kingdom, taking what ends up to be a pretty unusual route. I hope you'll enjoy. So, if you're ready, take a deep breath. (sighs) Yeah, that was nice. Okay. Here we go. Let's begin. Empty Places by Richard Parks Jane of Loxus was widely acknowledged a thief and a rogue, but no one had ever accused him of incompetence. So it came as quite a surprise to him on one warm summer evening to discover someone was following him. He was on his way home to Loxus after a very successful pass through several of the border towns near the foothills of the White Mountains. Jane's purse was heavy, and his heart, as he slipped through the wooded hills near Loxus, was light. Perhaps I was careless, he thought ruefully. Or am I getting old? He didn't really think so, at least not yet. When Jane washed his face in a quiet pool that very morning, he hadn't noticed anything of an alarming temporal nature. His hair was still red, the face still unmarred except for a touch of windburn. His hands, when he'd tricked locks and pried doors in the last few days, were still steady and his grip firm. 
It didn't make sense that someone could follow Jane without him knowing, unless... Perhaps whoever is following me is really, really skilled. Jane considered the matter as he strolled ever so casually along the woodland path. He had two choices. Either run or try to ambush his follower. Since he didn't know who was behind him or how well-armed running was the sensible thing. Yet Jane's curiosity wouldn't allow him to run. He wanted to find out who was following him. He waited until the path led him by the foot of a tall cliff and a tumulus of stones left by some ancient rock slide. He quickly checked the path behind him to make certain no one was within sight, and then he slid quickly and quietly into a narrow crevice between two great boulders, where he waited, and waited, and waited. The last of the sunlight faded into darkness, and it was out of that darkness that a voice finally reached Jane within his crevice. Are you going to stay in there all night? Jane sighed. So much for stealth. Show yourself. If you insist. There was a spark in the darkness, then a small flame, then a bigger flame. It took Jane a few moments to realize he was looking at a campfire. Behind the flames, sitting casually on a small boulder, was a man of about thirty. His hair was black and nearly shoulder length. He was wearing a plain brown cloak pulled about him against the night's chill, so Jane couldn't tell much else about him, though it was clear his build was slight. Jane judged him to be an inch or two shorter than Jane's own six-foot height, who are you? What do you want with me? My name is Timon, and I have need of your professional services. That being the case, obviously, I intend you no harm. Jane wasn't convinced. How do I know you're alone? Timon smiled. Obviously, you don't know. I could be surrounded by archers waiting for you to appear or some other such rot, but do you really think the bounty on your head is so great for me to go to all that trouble? I'm alone, Jane of Laxus. Either believe me or don't, but the alternative is for you to stay in there and starve. I can assure you it's far warmer and more comfortable out here. The man's name sounded vaguely familiar, but Jane couldn't place it. He peered cautiously out of the rocks, but no arrows twanged out the night. There was no sound at all except for a faint crackle from the campfire and the small sounds of frogs and insects that Jane would normally expect at this time of night. Your name is somewhat familiar. Do I know you? Mm, I doubt it, but you may have heard of me. I'm usually known as Timon the Black. For several long moments, Jane just stared at the smaller man. After a little while, he finally remembered to breathe. No offense, but I don't deal with wizards, Jane said, a little unsteadily. Timon looked a little surprised. He also looked a little relieved. You believe me? 
Most people would need convincing, you know. Forgive my immodesty, but that's no small claim I just made. You tracked me for a considerable time without my realizing it. And forgive my immodesty, but there are not many people who could do that. Besides, I can't imagine what advantage you'd gain by such a wild story. Timon nodded. You're as clever as your reputation. Good. We can skip the tedious proofs and arguments and get down to what matters. No, we can't. Didn't you hear what I said? I don't deal with wizards. Not that Jane had anything against them as a group. He considered wizards self-sufficient and untrustworthy, which were traits he respected. It was more that beyond the two traits already mentioned, he didn't understand them. He didn't know what they wanted or why they wanted it. And in Jane's line of work, that was very dangerous. Greed, Jane understood, and lust, and avarice, and spitefulness, and a host of other petty sins, those all made sense. Yet, if the stories were true, Timon the Black had committed some of the worst crimes imaginable simply because he wanted to, and he could. For instance, he was reputed to have kidnapped a princess of Moroche and murdered the hero prince who came to rescue her all on a whim. Such a person was capable of literally anything. You can decide after we've spoken, but refusing to listen is not an option, Timon said, then added, well, not a good one, anyway. Jane put his hands on his hips. Timon, I know your reputation, as I trust you know mine. How do you plan... Timon didn't even wait until he'd finished speaking, thinking back on it. Jane still wasn't exactly sure what had happened. All he knew was that there was a blur of motion that might or might not have been Timon's right hand. The next moment, a small ash tree not ten feet away from Jane burst into flame and exploded with a sound like thunder. Jane found himself on the ground, his ears ringing. It took him a few moments to be certain he was still alive. He got up, slowly, he would have run if he thought for a moment that would have worked. That was a warning, Timon said. And since I'm rather fond of trees as a rule, I don't think I'll bother with another. As he spoke, Timon continued what looked like preparations for tea, as if nothing at all had happened. Uh, Jane suddenly found himself at a loss for words. Timon, on the other hand, had no such loss. I have plenty of tea and fire both, and I promise you that we're going to share one or the other this night. Which shall it be? I'll take the tea, Jane said. Timon nodded. Good choice. The choice, at least in the short term, turned out to be better than Jane had suspected. Not only was he still alive, but his insistent host made excellent tea as well. Jane usually preferred something stronger, but he could not remember when he tasted better. Jane regarded his cup thoughtfully. I would almost give up wine for this. Each has its place, Timon said. Though a good pot of tea is usually harder to find. One reason, I make my own. So, have you considered my proposal? Jane nodded. 
Yes, and all I can say is that it is a very puzzling one. He eyed the package Damon had produced. It wasn't much to look at, little more than a small bundle wrapped in plain cloth, about the size of both of Jane's open hands put side to side. Then again, it wasn't the package that puzzled him, although, of course, he was curious about it. Rather, it was what Timon wanted done with it. You want me to sneak into the king's fortress at Willandia and leave this package in the nursery? That is correct. If you wish, you may steal some item from the palace as proof of your exploit, so your reputation is enhanced at the same time. We both win. So, will you do it? We haven't discussed terms. Quite right, Timon conceded. I could just threaten you, but I found that a reward and a club get better results than a club alone. He named a figure. Jane just stared at him for several long moments while his tea began to grow cold. Timon, for his part, drank the rest of his with apparent satisfaction and poured another cup. You're joking, Jane said finally. Then why aren't you laughing? Timon asked. I tell very good jokes when the mood hits me. At the moment, the mood does not. But I could live like a king on that much gold. One of the poorer ones, Timon said. And not for long. Most likely you'll find a way to gamble it all away or otherwise squander it. Jane raised an eyebrow. Oh, and what makes you think I would be so foolish with my money? Timon smiled. Because your history suggests that you don't really care about the gold, Jane. It's the challenge and the reputation that goes with successful exploits of thievery that inspire you. You feel you have not gained the reputation you deserve for all your efforts. If there's more to you than that, it's not commonly known. Jane was going to argue the point until it occurred to him that Timon might have said nothing less than the plain truth. The truth always made Jane uncomfortable. It wasn't quite so flexible as a good lie. Even so, why offer so much? If what you say is true, I would accept your challenge for much less. Because I do not wish to offer much less. My reasons are my own. Is there an enchantment? On the gift, will it harm the child? Timon shrugged. Does that matter? I'm a thief, not an assassin. Besides, if you do mean to harm the little prince, I might not wish my part in the matter to be known. Gold and reputation together might not be sufficient shield against the king's revenge. Timon nodded. Point taken. Uh, be at ease. My intention is not to harm the child. If it was, I'd have no qualms about saying so and persuading you to act against your instincts. Do you doubt this? Even so, if I agree to perform this task, how do I know you'll keep your word? Because, at least on this one point, you needn't depend on my word. Timon reached into his pack and pulled out a heavy leather bag. This he extended and dropped within Jane's reach. Payment strictly in advance. Count it, if you want. Frowning, Jane untied the bag. 
He reached far enough down among the gold coins to satisfy himself that even if the rest of the bag from his fingertips to the bottom held nothing but lead discs, he would still be rich enough to buy a small town and everyone in it. He bit one coin just for show, but he already knew the gold was real. You must think I'm a fool, he said. I was withholding judgment, Timon said. Why do you say so? Because what's to stop you from blasting me like that poor tree after I do this task for you? Not a blessed thing, Timon said affably. Likewise, there's nothing to stop me from doing the same if you refuse, or accept, and then try to escape from your obligations. Now, which two of those three eventualities do you consider most likely to annoy me? Jane sighed. Are there any conditions to this enterprise you haven't told me about? Just one, Timon said. I'll be accompanying you to the fortress. Once your task is complete, or you're killed in the attempt, we go our separate ways once we're safely out of Willandia. I work alone, Jane said. Which was true, usually, but he mostly just didn't relish the idea of Timon being anywhere near him. The man was pleasant enough company, but Jane thought that perhaps that fire trick might be harder to accomplish at greater distance. The magician shook his head. Not to impugn your considerable skills, but you'll never get into the fortress without my help. Consider this protecting my investment. Again, Jane considered his options and again came to the inevitable conclusion that he didn't have any. Very well. But just so you know, I don't trust you. Timon just smiled. Then you're not a fool. Good. That will help. There were two known passes through the White Mountains, the Pilgrim's Road and the Serpent's Path. The Pilgrim's Road was jointly maintained and patrolled by Willandia and Maroche, and was the main route of what an easy commerce existed between the two kingdoms. The Serpent's Path was little more than a mountain trail. It had watchtowers and a beacon system on each end in the event that any armed groups attempted to use it to catch either kingdom unaware but was otherwise left alone. Jane wasn't terribly surprised when this was the route they took to Willandia. It was easy enough for two men traveling lightly to slip past the watch undetected, not quite so easy to make the other end in one piece. You do realize that bandits, and worse, reside along the serpent's path? It's a natural refuge for the desperate and predatory. Yes, Timon said. The Pilgrim's Road is much easier and safer, but people tend to want to know your business when you take that way. Don't worry, Jane. We won't have any trouble. Jane wasn't convinced of that until the second day after they slipped past the southern watchtower. A large group of very unpleasant-looking men appeared on a ridge overlooking the pass. Timon merely acknowledged them with a wave of his hand, and they just as quickly vanished. Almost, Jane thought hastily. Just what is Timon the Black's arrangement with those men? A simple one. They don't interfere with my business and I don't rip the flesh from their bones. 
You'd be surprised at how reasonable men can be when the alternative is explained to them. Jane thought about it. It worked with me, and that's a fact. Please don't misunderstand me. The destruction of that tree was intimidating, but that was one tree. Could you really kill all of them? Are you that powerful? Timon just shrugged. You, of all people, should understand the value of reputation, Jane. Mine is such that they believe that I can and would. Therefore, I don't have to. That's not exactly an answer, Jane said. Since this particular answer would require proof, I hope for your sake you never receive one. The next morning, Timon looked a little unhappy. There's been a new development. Jane, who hadn't quite managed to find a spot of ground without something hard and unyielding under it, wasn't in the best of moods himself. What is it? The Queen of Willandia will be in residence at the palace during our incursion. She was expected to accompany her husband on a state visit to Maroche, but apparently there was some disagreement between them. Since the way to the nursery is through her private chambers, this may complicate matters. Jane shrugged. It would be better if she were not there, true, but I've ransacked entire rooms without waking the occupants. Wait a moment. How do you know this? Because I'm a magician, Timon said, and finding the hidden is what we do. After a breakfast of hard bread and cheese, they were soon on their way again. It was a long time before either of them spoke again, and it was Jane who broke the silence. You know what I think. I think you knew about the Queen's plans all along, and you merely announced it at the appropriate time to impress me. Timon smiled. Interesting theory, and certainly a clever way to create the illusion of true magic without actually producing any. There's only one flaw in your hypothesis. Which is? It presumes that I have a need to impress you, Jane. You already know what I will do to you if you betray me. What more is required? We still have a few days before we reach Wallandia. How do you know I won't slit your throat while you sleep? There's an end to that threat. I'm not saying I would mind, but why isn't it an option? Timon smiled. Let us say for the sake of argument that you have a point, in which case it is in your interest to test the limits of my power. Yes? I suppose that's true, Jane said. Timon shrugged. All right, but do remember, I did warn you. The next generation of Influential Black Voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. And every episode is a living account of what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. 
In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Because stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Finding the music you love shouldn't be hard. That's why Pandora makes it easy to explore all your favorites and discover new artists and genres you'll love. Enjoy a personalized listening experience simply by selecting any song or album, and we'll make a station crafted just for you. Best of all, you can listen for free. Download Pandora on the Apple App Store or Google Play and start hearing the soundtrack to your life. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Despite Timon's ominous implication, nothing unusual happened for the rest of that day. Jane and Timon made good time along the serpent's path, despite the fact that they were traveling mostly uphill. The way was clear, the weather was mild, and the bandits, if any, were keeping well out of sight. They reached the highest point on their route by evening and made camp once more. From their vantage point, they could see the plains of Wallandia in the distance and the backbone of the White Mountains stretching out to either side. The air was thin and cool. Both Timon and Jane kept close to the fire. It wasn't much of a fire. Dead wood was rather scarce in the higher levels of the pass, but it lasted long enough to heat a quick supper, and now its dying coals provided at least some warmth. So, it was with considerable reluctance that Jane crawled out of his blankets, crossed the pass, and clambered up a slight rise on the left side of the trail. It wasn't until the campfire was out of sight that it occurred to him that he didn't have the faintest notion why he had done so. He looked out in a distance seemingly composed of equal parts shadowed earth and brilliantly shining stars. What am I doing here? I called you, Jane. Timon was standing right next to him. Jane jumped backwards three paces and landed in a crouch, his dagger ready. What do you mean, called me? What trick is this? Just that, Timon said. I called you out of your sleep, but left your body where it was. I didn't need that part. Jane crept back to the edge of the ridge and looked down toward the camp. It was still there, as was he himself. Jane saw the still form wrapped in blankets, knew it for his own. What have you done to me? Nothing. Yet. 
Am I dreaming? In a way. But ask yourself, Jane, if I'm privy to your dreams, how are you going to keep anything hidden from me? You have no choice here, Jane, other than to do what I require. Timon continued to look out toward Wallandia, or up at the stars, Jane couldn't quite tell which. After a moment or two, Timon spoke again, but he wasn't talking about missions or proof or anything of the sort. I love places like this, Jane. We'll be gone in a moment or two, and it will be as it was. Wallandia goes to war in a generation, or doesn't. Mirosh becomes one kingdom with Borisir, or doesn't. Large events to us, but to these mountains, nothing. That's what I love about the empty places of the world. Places with few people and little to see save earth, sky, mountains, and cold, cold stars. They help me keep matters in perspective. Jane didn't say anything for a moment since he didn't have any idea what Tamun was talking about. He kept his attention on what, as he saw it, was the matter at hand. If I'm dreaming, how do I know that any of this is real? Your presence, what I'm seeing now, all could be the workings of my fevered mind. <laughs> You're a stubborn one, Jane. Jane met Timon's gaze evenly. I'm a hard man, wizard. I have to be. You were generous with your gold, but you could take that away from me. I can't trust you, as I said. How can there be any certainty of any kind between us? Timon nodded. A fair question, which I presume would be answered if I demonstrate that you're not going to take me by surprise. That is the case, I'm afraid. My precautions are such that I know your intent before you do. Jane sniffed a danger like a deer in a meadow, but couldn't think of anything to say that was as remotely plausible as the truth. A demonstration would help. Jane admitted, though one that leaves me both alive and functioning would be in both our interests. I'll take that into consideration, Timon said. So, what will you do? Summon lightning? Raise a demon from the bowels of the earth? You believe that you're dreaming, Timon said. So, if I were to do any of those things, you either would not remember or would quite rightly explain the marvel as part of your dream where such wonders are common. No, I must arrange something more solid. Look to the east. What do you see? Jane glanced in that direction. A faint glow. Dawn is coming. Almost here, Timon said. You'll awake in a little while, and you're not going to remember any of this at first. You're going to run 30 paces farther along the trail and then stop and look to the right. Only then will you remember and you will recall everything we've said tonight. Jane frowned. That's it? Just be grateful that it's enough. Now, wake up. Jane awoke by the cold ashes of the campfire. Timon was nowhere to be seen. Jane pulled his blankets off and sat up. He looked around carefully, but there was still no sign of the magician. Jane assumed Timon had sought privacy to relieve himself and very briefly considered doing the same before the implication of Timon's absence sank in. Now's my chance, 
Jane rolled up his bedding as quickly as he could, picked up his heavy pack, started down the trail. He had gone exactly 30 paces when he skidded to a stop before he even realized he was doing so. He looked to the right, and there was Timun leaning against a large stone. Hmm, what kept you? They slipped past the Wallandian watchtower on the fourth day. That proved very easy. The rough stone wall blocking the north end of the pass was to prevent a large force from crossing quickly and give the watchmen time to light their beacons and give warning. It did little to prevent two very stealthy men from climbing over under cover of darkness. As he reached the top of the wall, Jane could see the two watchmen huddled by a small brazier near the parapet of their tower. I wonder what they're being punished for, Jane said aloud, though he kept his voice too low to carry. Timon, who Jane had come to grudgingly understand was even more nimble than himself, was waiting for him on top of the wall. Punished? What makes you think so? Out here? Isolated for months at a time, with nothing to do but stare into nothing? I'd go mad. I have it on good authority that men volunteer. For this duty. I would think that someone of your background would appreciate the lure of solitude. Jane shook his head. I appreciate being unencumbered. It's not the same thing as being alone. Quite right, Timon said. And yet, to some, this sort of duty is ideal. Everyone searches for what they need, Jane. You, me, those men in the tower. It's no surprise that we're not all after the same thing. They climbed down carefully. Timon led Jane to what looked like an animal path through the underbrush. He was able to walk upright and still stay concealed from the watchman. They were well away from both the wall and the tower before Jane spoke again. So, what is it you're looking for, Timon? The magician frowned. Why do you want to know? Jane shrugged. Just curious. We have both miles and time to kill. I'll answer that question, Timon said, if you will do the same. Jane grunted. I thought you had me sorted out already. You played me like a drum at our first meeting. Timon dismissed that. I understand your immediate motivations well enough to explain why you do what you do. The excitement of a challenge, the thirst for reputation, simple enough on the surface. But is that really all there is to you, Jane? A thief? Hungry for reputation? Jane shrugged. Isn't that enough? That's not for me to answer, Jane. I'll answer my own question instead. What I want is to make a difference. I must say, you don't seem particular as to what sort of difference, seeing as how your list of crimes is far longer and certainly more lethal than mine. I steal, but that's all. Timon raised an eyebrow. A moral harangue from a thief. Jane sighed. Just because I cross the line now and then doesn't mean I don't know a line exists. I never steal from those who can't afford the loss, and I've never killed anyone except in self-defense, even when good sense suggested that slit in the throat was in my best interests. I am quite moral, Timon, in my own way. Interesting notion. Perhaps we should test that sometime. Well, now, 
This is definitely a challenge, Jane said. What was euphemistically referred to as the Wallandian Summer Palace was actually a fortified castle set on a mountain ridge so high and sheer that it looked like a wall constructed by some long-vanished giant. A section of the ridge had collapsed in a past age, and the castle had been built near the edge, so the fortress was guarded on three sides by sheer hundred-foot cliffs. The only real approach was along the ridge itself, defended by a massive curtain wall and a sliding gate, which, judging from the relative size of the guards near it, was at least 20 feet square. Timon and Jane sat at a rough table at an inn in Kandun, a bustling village at the foot of the mountain, near an unshuttered window that gave them a good look at the castle. Fortunately, or more likely, planned ahead by Timon, it was the second of two annual horse fairs held there on the border of the plains where the hardy Willandian duns, much prized in the south and elsewhere, were traded. No one took much notice of the two men, as the town was normally filled with travelers during the fair. Pity there are no rooms available, Timon said. Would have been nice not to sleep on the ground for a change. I don't consider a bed more than likely stuffed with fleas much of an improvement, Jane said. Worse, someone else's fleas. He lifted his flagon again, then sighed. Good food and ale, though. Too good. Timon said, keep your wits about you since you enter the castle tonight. Why tonight? I have my reasons. Let it go with that. Jane nodded toward the gate. Lovely. And now that we're here, would you mind telling me your plan to get in? I'm a very good thief, but I'm neither a magician nor a bird. I must say it looks quite impossible from here. Timon smiled. I'll do better than tell you. Show you. Yet, you probably won't like it. I certainly don't. That evening they slipped out of Kandun and made their way toward the base of the cliffs. The fields near the far end of the ridge were scattered with massive boulders, some as large as a house, apparently left over from that ancient rockfall. At times, Jane felt as if he was walking through a forest of fat stone trees, but at least they gave good cover, even though they didn't yet dare light the lantern Timon had brought. The base of the cliff itself was a jumble of broken stones, scrubby pines, and bramble that made progress both slow and painful. Though Jane was a little mollified to note that Timon, even though he apparently knew the way, wasn't doing much better. You're right, Jane said, after plucking a dead bramble cane from the back of his hand and pausing to lick the blood. I don't like this. Then you're really not going to like when the going turns nasty, Timon said, pulling a thorn from his thumb. But at least we'll be out of this brush soon. Turn to the left when you reach that rock that looks like a cow pat. Jane did as he was told and found, if not exactly a path, a lessening of the undergrowth. He followed that with Timon bringing up the rear and came to a place where the stony ground turned more to solid rock, giving the pine and brambles fewer places to take root. 
The rock surface slanted upwards to reach the base of the cliff face, and there Jane found a gaping hole in the rock about six feet wide and nearly as high. He glanced up and could just barely make out a tower from the castle high above them. It can't be as simple as this. Jane peered into the cave and realized that it was not a cave at all, in the true sense. Rather, it appeared that a boulder had been torn from its matrix during the past collapse. It occurred to Jane that the landmark rock that looked like a cowpat could have been the original stone, now weathered down and buried in soft earth. The break in the rock wall only went about four feet into the cliff face and abruptly ended. What do we do now? Climb? In the dark? We didn't even bring a rope. Actually, I did, but we won't need it until near the end, Timon said. Get inside. This hole in the rock? But it doesn't go anywhere. Jane didn't quite finish because Timon slipped past him and poked a section of the roof with a stout stick he'd picked up outside, and the stone moved, rocking gently as if precisely balanced. Shift the stone and be careful. It should slide to the left. The section of stone looked like all the others. There were cracks visible, but there were cracks visible everywhere. Jane put his hands against the stone and pushed, gingerly at first, but then with more force. A slab of granite just over a foot wide and twice as long lifted off the roof of the fissure. It took a couple of tries, but Jane managed to push it to the side. Then, to Mun lit the lantern with a touch of one finger and handed it to Jane. Set this up in there so we can see. Then, climb up. Jane lifted the lantern into the fissure, and the almost absolute blackness retreated a bit to reveal a wider fissure in the rock. It was easy enough to get a grip on either side of the opening and pull himself up. Do you need a... Again... Jane didn't get a chance to finish, for in an instant, Timon was standing right next to him. Timon very carefully slid the cover stone back into place and then picked up the lantern and held it high. They stood on a shelf of bare rock about six feet across, just a little wider than the cave below. The fissure ended in another blank wall about 15 paces further into the ridge. To the left was another wall of flat granite that reached further than Jane could see in the weak light, as did the wall to their right. The difference was the wall on the right side was marked with ledges and broken stones that formed a natural stairway up toward the blackness far above them. The air was close and still, and there was a musty, faintly unpleasant odor that Jane couldn't quite identify. Does anyone else know about this fissure? Jane asked. Keep your voice down, please. Sound tends to travel here, Timon said in a whisper. But yes, since it reaches all the way to the surface and the castle is built over it, many people know about it. What they don't know is that there's a way in from the cliff base. I imagine there are people who would pay to know that very important detail. Say, the king of Willandia, or Morosh, or Borisor, for that matter. No doubt, Timon said affably. I'm making an implication, Jane said, keeping his voice just about the level of a whisper. I know, 
Timon said, the implication being that it might not be in my interest that this information be shared. And so, it would therefore be more in my interest that you do not live to tell anyone, including any of the aforementioned majesties. Or did I misunderstand you? Jane looked at Timon. No, I think you pretty much nailed that board to the floor. The magician sighed. Jane, by your reasoning, it's in my interest that you disappear after this task, but since you're carrying a large measure of my gold, we've already established that. Stop trying to give me reasons to kill you. They're irrelevant. I'll harm you if and only if I want or need to. That's not much reassurance. It's the best I can do under the circumstances. Now, climb or die. I started reading fantasy a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, you know, everybody's read Tolkien, and but my go-to is really science fiction. But when I really began to settle into the fantasy genre, I was just blown away at some of the writers that I encountered and 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 some of the wonderful storytelling that existed there. And um, I chose empty places because. For me, it's really representative of the, the the genre because when I think of fantasy, I think of 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 wizards and and you know and thieves and and I guess one of the other things that really drew me to the story was I'm a big fan of mastery, you know, uh, in in any realm at at any level you can achieve it. And in this story, we've got two absolute masters of their crafts pitted against one another, a master wizard and a master thief. And um, I just, I loved the dynamic of these two personalities on this great and grand adventure together, sort of matching wits and, and talents um, toe-to-toe every step along the way. Is there something that you feel like you really have mastery over right oh, now? Oh, boy. Um, mastery, no. But at this age, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty good storyteller. Um, I, it's something that I love to do. It's something that I know I don't suck at. I hesitate to call myself a master at it, but, um, I'm, I'm a pretty good journeyman. So, that was part one of Empty Places by Richard Parks. I'm certainly looking forward to part two. I hope you are as well. If you thought having to slip through fissures in a giant rock sounded perilous, well, there is a reason why Timon described this part of the journey as when the going gets nasty. You'll see what I mean next episode. And Jane is going to learn quite a bit more about himself and about Timon's real intentions by the end of the story. I'm certainly looking forward to sharing with you. I hope you are as well.
LeVar Burton Reads is produced by Julia Smith, editing and sound design by Adam Divert, and a special thanks to Dan Gallucci at Little Everywhere for his help in producing this episode. And a very special thanks to Mr. Richard Parks for today's story. You can find other titles by Richard at richard-parks.com and, of course, on Audible. And please, if you love the show and want to help other people find it, give us a rating or review us on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back next week with part two of this wonderful story. And if you can't wait that long, listen to the next episode right now on Stitcher Premium. To find out more, visit stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Ginny Radelette. We also want to give a big thanks to Matt Gourley. I'm LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at LeVarBurton.com and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. Finding the music you love shouldn't be hard. That's why Pandora makes it easy to explore all your favorites and discover new artists and genres you'll love. Enjoy a personalized listening experience simply by selecting any song or album, and we'll make a station crafted just for you. Best of all, you can listen for free. Download Pandora on the Apple App Store or Google Play and start hearing the soundtrack to your life. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.